stand by podcast. Podcast, go. stage managers, and welcome to the second episode of On Headset, the stage management podcast. I'm your host, Becky Reed. First of all, I want to give a big thank you to everyone who listened to our first episode. The response was so much bigger than I expected, and I'm thrilled that so many folks tuned in to listen to us. For more information about On Headset, you can follow us on Tumblr and Twitter at On Headset, or like us on Facebook at On Headset Podcast. Today I'll be talking with stage manager Jessica Short about site-specific theater. Full disclosure, we recorded this interview back in February, so the shows we discussed have already closed. Whoops! Jess and I worked together on a site-specific children's theater show called The Cerulean Time Capsule, and boy howdy do we have some crazy stories from this show. But before we get into that, we'll have a little meet and greet with Jess. Hi, Jess. Hey. Hey, everybody. I'm Jess. So, Jess, what was your stage management education like? So, uh, I started out at James Madison University in Harrisonburg, Virginia as a biology major um, with a minor in theater for fun. And uh, about halfway through, I decided that I uh, wanted to pursue theater as a full-time career, so I switched Um, So I actually have a BA in theater with a concentration in uh, design and technology, but basically that meant that I just took more design classes versus acting classes. And then after I graduated, I did a couple of uh, internships and apprenticeships. The biggest one was an eight month long at Florida Repertory Theater, where I was the stage management intern there. And then I moved to DC and I've been here for about two years now and uh, just been stage managing and assistant stage managing in the area. Excellent. Uh, What are you working on right now? So I'm actually stage managing The Pillow Man at Forum Theater. We are in our third week of rehearsals coming up. We'll open on March 13th at the Silver Swing Black Box, and it's going to be pretty cool, not your typical uh, staging of The Pillow Man. So definitely a lot of audience participation and interaction in that one as well. Oh, that's exciting. What is the best item in your kit? So I actually was thinking about this, and it's something that I don't carry around with me a lot, but I just got my own laminator. Nice! And it's been amazing. So now I have my own set of signs and things, so that if a theater doesn't have, like, a please be quiet sign, we're in rehearsal, I can just pull it out and I have my own set of, like, numbers if we're using um, arena configuration and just general like I can make wi-fi signs now and stuff like that so that's great but I also want to talk about something that my friend um, Becca Wachenfeld has Mm -hmm. that I just recently worked with her at Roundhouse she got like um, a laser like 90 degree laser that construction people use and Uh it's awesome for taping up floors because you don't have to think about or double check your right angles. You just put it on the ground and the laser makes the right angle for you. That's awesome. And you just put the tape measure up along the angle and it was pretty amazing. So I'm probably going to try to invest in one of those, but I don't know what, how expensive they are. I have to look into it, but 
Yeah. Pretty cool. Sounds like a trip to Home Depot. Yes. In your future, <laughs> and maybe in my future, that sounds... Why have I never thought of it? I didn't think of it either, because I guess general contractors use them, and she just, like, showed up with it and was like, this is so cool, and I was like, oh my god, that's so cool. And it made awesome. taping out super quick, which... I hate taping out, so... Yeah, I need that... The show that I'm working on right now, our entire... Like, everything is a right angle mm-hmm. on our set. So it was easier to tape out than normal, but, like, with a right angle laser, mm-hmm. man, we could have been done with that in, like, ten minutes. Yeah, it is pretty sweet, so I'm gonna definitely try to invest in one of those maybe for my birthday. Nice. So. Um, do you have a pro tip you'd like to share? Let's see. Actually, I think that was going to be my pro tip, now that I thought oh. about it. <laughs> um, Combination pro yeah. tip and awesome thing to put in your kit. Yeah. Um, I think that, that, that would be my pro tip for the day. All right. I'm going to give you guys a little bit of context for the show that Jess and I are going to be talking about. The Cerulean Time Capsule was a world premiere site-specific children's theater show Uh, co-produced by the Kennedy Center Theater for Young Audiences and the U.S. Botanic Garden. It took place in the Botanic Garden on the National Mall, mere yards from the U.S. Capitol building, while the gardens were open to the general public. The show had two characters and was designed for small groups of 10 to 12 audience members, ideally uh, families with kids. And it went through almost every room in the gardens as the actors led the audience on the search for a magical plant that held the key to inventing time travel, which sounds pretty crazy. But the craziest part is that because the show was so short, only about 30 minutes long, and because we could only accommodate up to 12 audience members at a time, we had two casts performing the same show. We performed every 30 minutes Uh, basically all day on Saturdays and Sundays. It ended up being nine shows per day total. So one cast would perform and then have a 30-minute break while the other cast performed and then they'd switch. By the end of the run, we had performed 137 times, which is definitely the most performances of one show that I have ever done. Jess and I were each responsible for one of the casts of actors, and then we shared all the rest of our stage management duties as co-SMs. So let's let's talk about <laughs> let's talk about site-specific theater. Rehearsing a site-specific show is different than rehearsing a regular show. We were really lucky that we were able to rehearse in the space in the gardens. I don't really know what we would have done. We wouldn't have, because the show was also so based off of what plants were in the Botanic Garden at the time. Like, we would stop at specific plants and point them out, and if we didn't have that information or have those plants available, it would have been pretty much almost impossible for us to block it at all. And also, we couldn't have taped out the path or anything. Yeah, it was massive. Mm -hmm. It, it It was truly, like, the entire Botanic Garden was the stage. Including an upper level as well, because we were up on the canopy of the garden, which is like a second level overlooking the tropics section. So we went 
everywhere that we could basically go, except for the bathrooms. So. Yeah. yeah, pretty much everywhere. I think there's only one. There's only one room mm. in the garden that we didn't walk through. And I mean, the way the show was structured, we were really lucky that our director and co-playwright. That's this is basically what he does all the time is site specific children's theater or audience integrated children's theater, one or the other. Um, so he had a lot of insight into this that I think if if it had been anybody else trying to create this show, we would have had a lot more problems. You know, they he sort of knew ahead of time, like, oh, the audience is gonna, you know, this room is too small. We're not gonna be able to stop the audience in here. So we're just gonna sort of breeze through the orchid room and not really talk about it or, you know, lots of things with audience management as well how to, like, get the audience on board and get the audience to follow you through the garden. He had lots of insight into that. Mm -hmm. And I think also the lovely uh, horticulturists and people who work at the gardens helped with that because they were able to tell us the more traffic-heavy areas and that then Drew, the director-slash-co-writer, could edit the script based off of where they thought it would be appropriate for us to stop. So when we got into rehearsal, that script was pretty much solid. The only things that we were adding were lots of ad-libs based off of basically what the cast wanted to say. Each script actually for A cast and B cast ended up being kind of different. Um, each cast created their own little ad-libs and their own mannerisms. So you could go see one show and get completely different little jokes along the way. Still the same show, but they definitely got the chance to make it their own, which was also pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, and I think definitely the folks at the Botanic Garden, it definitely helped that this was something that they wanted to do. It was actually their idea to do a play in the garden. And I think if it had been a different a different situation where maybe some like someone was coming to the gardens and trying to convince them like, "Hey, we want to do a play in your venue, in your space." It would have been different, I think, because they were so willing to just like jump on board and go with whatever crazy ideas we came up with and they were so helpful also you know with like oh this air this room gets really busy or like this is a more this is a busier time of day and then just like facts about plants we got like really great behind the scenes tours of the botanic garden with various horticulturists and and um garden employees that you know, gave us all kinds of fun information about the plants that we could share with the audience that we wouldn't necessarily have known on our own. Once we were in performance, we realized that we couldn't watch the show as the stage managers because the whole the whole goal of the show and and there were a lot of factors that contributed to this that made it really difficult but the whole goal was to have let the audience particularly the little kids who are coming to see it really let them have that suspension of disbelief like this is a real adventure that we're really going on with this guy who's leading us through the gardens looking for this magical plant and so to have like the stage manager who gave a pre-show speech and you know checked everybody in to the tour in the group with them was really not it, it ruined the suspension of disbelief. And the kids definitely knew who we were. 
they would like point us out and be like, those are the clipboard ladies. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and they would let the actors know that they knew that we were there. So it was kind of um, an interesting way to watch a show from a stage management perspective because we were kind of like, at some points we were following behind the group and at other points we would like slip off to another area and watch from there and we were sort of trying to be out of the way but at the same time it was also our responsibility for crowd control and photography control. So obviously uh, people were not allowed to take pictures of the actors or take video so we were still responsible for making sure that people weren't taking pictures, making sure that people knew what was going on, because there were a couple of people who were just very confused about what was happening, and they were, like, telling our actors to stop yelling in the gardens and things, and so it was our responsibility, ultimately, to go up to those people and be like, hey, this is a show for kids, like, we, yeah. um, we would love for you to come, you can sign up at the front desk, but please don't interrupt the performance or like take pictures so that was an interesting logistical yeah part. the the logistics of rehearsing and performing the show while the garden was open to the public was really crazy i mean we had tons of people you know there's 10 maybe 10 audience members and 150 other random people in the garden who may or may not have noticed the signs at the front of the building that say theatrical performance happening today and were super confused by what these like two guys yelling in the garden was all about and so we had people who would like try to join the show in the middle of the performance or people who would take pictures that we would you know as much as possible we tried to prevent that from happening but you just sort of have to like sometimes this tourist is just you know they they escape before you can catch them and tell them or maybe they don't you know they're they don't speak english and so you can't really <laughs> communicate the fact that they shouldn't be taking pictures they just don't understand why that's not okay and i mean because we were performing in a place that is such a tourist attraction mm. you know we would get literally a bus load of tourists would just dump them at the front door and all of a sudden the garden is packed it was not packed when the show started and five minutes into it you can barely move because there are so many tourists mm -hmm. and you know sometimes it's like a bunch of people from brazil or japan or some other foreign country <laughs> sometimes it's like a bunch of eighth graders from Paducah, Kansas, with their chaperones <laughs> on their class field trip. Um, and they're all coming through the garden. That was, yeah, so that was just something that we learned really quickly in rehearsal. And luckily we were rehearsing in the garden and sort of got used to this. But our actors just sort of learned to like roll with it and like, you know, pause for a second and let the other group pass them or talk try and talk over them assessing the situation and sometimes they got incorporated into the show as well um i know one of our actors in particular was um super happy to point people out and be like they're gonna be a future ballerina and this person is the future president of the united states <laughs> and people would either like get really into it and be like oh that's so cool or they would look at them like they're legitimately crazy and just keep on walking <laughs> but it was interesting because the actors needed to know how to crowd control 
because there was really no one there to help with that while they were moving. So there were sort of these little tricks that they used in order to either let big groups pass or if there was a kid that was super interested in the show and trying to like get onto the tour group, how they sort of handled that. And then we were like the final checkpoint in case like all of their efforts did not work. And yeah. then we had to ask people to, you know, go, go to the front desk and sign up for a different tour. But I think something else that was interesting on that point was that there were really two, even sometimes three, ways that the show could go, routes that the show could take, depending on what the makeup of the group was or what the weather was doing outside. Yeah, we had, um, there was one section of the garden that we went through that is not roofed. It's still, like, enclosed on four sides by the gar- by the garden itself, um, but it's open air. So we had a, a route that was like, if it's raining, we can't go through this room. And so that was like a split second decision that the actors would have to make. And sometimes we would try and cue them to that <laughs> of like, hey, FYI, it just started raining. But like, you can't tell them that because the audience is right there. And so, of course, like when the show is starting, if it's raining, then we're like, hey, FYI, it's raining. We're going to not go through Southern exposure. But sometimes it would start raining. And so then the actors would just have to, like, make that decision on their own. Um, And then we also had uh, what we called it the accessible route because it was, there are stairs in the Botanic Garden just sort of, like, out there on the paths. And then there's also a flight of stairs up to the canopy level, which we took the tour, the audience through. And so we had a completely alternate route for the show that was accessible to people with mobility issues or people in wheelchairs that we would take if the audience requested it or if it just looked like, hey, there's a bunch of old people on this tour, so we're not going to go up those like three flights of stairs to the canopy today. There would be sometimes that the actors would have to make that decision as well because it may be that someone walked in and they looked able-bodied from the beginning, but when they reached the staircase, they were like, oh, I can't go upstairs, whereas we would not normally know that, and so they would have to accommodate for that on the fly sometimes. So it was sort of like a mutual understanding between stage management and actors that either we could call that or they could call it and they had the power to do that as well. Yeah, and then we would try and make sure that our our production assistant, who was also disguised as a regular, regular old garden patron, um, like hiding out in the garden, we would make sure that he knew, like, hey, they're on the accessible route, so you're not going to see them when you normally see them. Um, and then the other actor, at that point in the show, it was only one actor with the audience, and so we'd make sure that the other actor also knew that they were on the accessible route rather than the the regular uh, route for the show. Something else super interesting that happened uh, on occasion was because we were running every 30 minutes on the clock, we we couldn't really hold the show for more than a couple minutes or else the whole rest of the schedule was going to get messed up. So there were a couple of moments where the end of one of the tours met the beginning of the other tour, and so it was always interesting to, like, see if we could attempt to hold one of them off um, mm-hmm. so that they wouldn't end up running into each other because the the whole premise of the show is that um, one 
Ben is from 2041 from the future, and he's coming back to let the other Ben from 2015, him his former self, know uh, the secret about the time capsule. So it would sort of be like this time continuum disruption if, <laughs> if the both two of groups. the cast <laughs> were to interact. So it was it was kind of interesting negotiating that as well. Yeah, and the actors did a great job. They could they could sometimes see as they're leading the group in, like, oh, the other group is coming, and so we're going to stop here, and I'm going to ad-lib something about this tree for a minute until they make it through the door, and then we're going to go into the other room and end the tour. And so, like, it's like a tribute to the skill of of our actors that they could just think on their feet like that and stay in character, but have that situational awareness to know that like, oh, the other group is coming. And so I'm going to wait here or I'm going to go ahead and hurry them along and we're going to miss the other, the other group. Because another thing as a stage manager that was really interesting to me is that the run times of the show greatly varied depending on how fast the people were moving, what route we were on, the how traffic much they in the talked, yeah. stuff like that. So, like, we could be running, like, I think the the shortest was, like, 26 minutes, 50-something seconds at one point, and then it could go all the way to 34 minutes if the people were being slow or they were asking questions or yeah. whatever. Or if they, you know, if there was a lot of traffic in the garden and they had to keep pausing and waiting for other groups to get by... Yeah, it varied a lot. And so, you know, we're, we've got the time, you know, we've got our stopwatches going and it's like, oh no, we're at 25 minutes and they <laughs> haven't found, you know, they haven't made it out of medicinal plants yet. Everything's going, to, you know, everything's going terribly. The show's running so long. And so we had that, like, that knowledge of like, if everything goes according to plan, this is how long the show's going to be. And this is like about when we should be at each location. Mm-hmm. You know, we should be in medicinal plants at this time. We should be in the desert at this time. And if we're not there, then it's like, okay, hey, FYI, <laughs> tell your actors, tell the next cast that things are running behind schedule or things are running really ahead of schedule, maybe. Mm-hmm. I think the biggest thing that I learned from doing a site-specific show is just being able to accept the fact that there are going to be a ton of things that are outside of your control. And you just have to accept that and roll with the punches and sort of create that sense with the cast and with the director as well that like sometimes things happen that we can't control and we didn't plan for this, but there's no way we could have planned for this, and so we're just gonna make the best of this situation. Like, you know, the busloads of tourists, or the random patrons, like, yelling at the actors. Like, <laughs> this was your cast. You need, to, yeah. you need to tell the story. Yeah, okay. So there was a, a moment where, and I totally understand where these people were coming from, uh, based on the fact that, like, a lot of people come to the Botanic Garden as a place to unwind, a place to read a book in a beautiful location, etc. Yeah, so there are people It's there. generally fairly quiet in the garden. Yeah. If it's not super busy, it's a pretty quiet area. So there was um, a woman who was, at one point in the show, the characters are yelling at each other 
over a distance. So um, one of the characters is on the bridge and the other character is on the overlook and they're excitedly talking about the, the plant and they're like, no, you're wrong, you're wrong. Um, and a woman came up to one of the younger actors in my cast, Adi, and she just at first like whispered in his ear like... She got so <laughs> she close She got really close. Up, and she said, will you just shut up already? <laughs> and poor Adi, he, he was so in character, like emphatically... Uh, protesting about the plant and he just kept going and he looks at her and he's like but it's the future it's time travel from the future and the woman just like yells back like just shut up and then keeps on walking and (laughs) and that was the most entertaining uh audience or not audience or uh patron of the gardens who uh did not like what we were doing yeah, it, it was so interesting, just the people, it, we really ran, ran the gamut of people like the just shut up already lady, <laughs> all the way to, you know, parents with kids who see, saw the show going on and then went and signed up for another one, or people without kids, you know, like adults without kids who were like, this looks like so much fun and would go on this, you know, children's theater show just because it looked like so, just looked like they were having so much fun in the garden. So that was really, that was really great. And I mean, just the people, some, you know, sometimes the kids, some kids would get super into it and like really believe that what was going on was, was really happening. And then some kids would not. Some, you know, you sometimes have those little brats that are like, time travel isn't real. You're not really from the future. This isn't a magic seed. Like, those kinds of kids. Yeah, so. I remember one of those kids, like, he got me. Uh, because there was a, there was a pre-show speech that uh, we got basically at opening um, to start doing this. And so I had it on a clipboard, and I'm a stage manager. I'm not an actor, so... I would reference the clipboard because I didn't want to miss anything because it was important information about the Wilkes expedition, which was what the show was based off of. And like, please make sure that you're staying with your group and stuff. And this kid, um, he puts his hand up in the the middle of it. And I'm just like, hold on a second. So I finished my speech and he, he looks at me and he's like, so he said something about Christopher Columbus and that like totally threw me off because I just was not prepared for that at all. <laughs> and I said something about Christopher Columbus, like looking for the West Indies that was probably not historically accurate. And then I just like walked out and I was like, I feel for these actors because they are literally being thrown all of these crazy questions all the time and I couldn't deal with one. But um, that's, you know, the kids were either, yeah, really into it. And then if there were groups of kids, they would really get into it. They would talk amongst, you know, the other ones and, and like run along. So that was pretty cool to see. Yeah. Yeah. And um, something else that was really great with our director and playwright was that he structured the show really intelligently so that if you have a kid who won't shut up and just keeps asking questions, there's this sort of built-in time limit of, like, we have to find this plant in the next 20 minutes. And so they had the actors, if the kid was being really great and really excited and the actors could answer the question if they wanted, but they also sort of had an out of, like, I'd love to talk about this plant, but... We don't have time. 
time because the the flower is gonna bloom in 25 minutes and we have to be there or oh I you, just that just that sense of like we don't have time I'd love to talk about Christopher Columbus but we don't <laughs> have time we have to keep going that kind of thing um, was really helpful to the actors to give them like an automatic out that they could use no matter what the person asked they had like a sort of stock answer that they could give no mm. matter what that I think was really helpful because we were on the National Mall in the U.S. Botanic Garden, there were there are all kinds of things that happen yeah. on the National Mall. We basically did not have a normal weekend of the show because of all of the the various things that were happening. There was one weekend where there was a tea party rally, like right outside the garden. It's in front of the Capitol. You know, if you've seen a map of the National Mall. The Capitol's on one end, and then the gar- the Botanic Gardens is, like, the closest thing mm-hmm. to the Capitol. So, you know, there's this huge political rally right outside the Capitol, which means it's right outside the Botanic Garden. And we could hear them, like, the speech. We could hear the loudspeakers in the, in the <laughs> garden. And then that means, of course, that there's tons of people coming in to use the bathroom or coming in to get out of the heat for a little while who are not necessarily interested in the Botanic Garden itself. They're just interested in it as the closest building to where they are that is open to the public. We had, uh, you know, the Marine Corps Marathon went right in front of the garden. We had the anniversary of the Million Man March happened. And that day was pretty (laughs) crazy because the, the speeches were happening right outside the garden. So we could hear them again. We could hear them inside. But they also blocked off the front entrance. Like, there's only one entrance to the garden. And they blocked it off and, like, routed people... They, like, built a barricade, the police did. So you had to, like, follow the barricade from, like, the far end of the block all the way through this little, like, maze to get to the entrance of the garden. And we didn't know that any of this was going to be happening until (laughs) that morning. And then we got there, and the FBI had also set up their mobile command center in the women's dressing room, Mm -hmm. which was technically a... (laughs) the storage room for the (laughs) Botanic Garden staff um, that we had set up as the women's dressing room. You know, we put in tables and mirrors and wardrobe racks and a curtain for privacy and all of that stuff. But the the FBI was like, "Mm, nope, (laughs) sorry. Cameras and TVs and crazy stuff. All kinds of stuff. And they they were just like, "Mm, nope. Sorry, <laughs> you can't you can't be in here today. And luckily, the Botanic Garden staff let us move into somebody's office. I think it was the office of one of the garden staff members yeah. who wasn't there because it was the weekend. And so, you know, when the FBI says, this is not your dressing room anymore, you just have to say, okay, that's, yeah, <laughs> okay. That's not the dressing room anymore. So let's fix this. Yeah, there was one day where... We had no idea that the free yoga program was going to be so prolifically attended, I guess. I, like, I I was flabbergasted because it, well, shameless plug, uh, USBG has free yoga sometimes on Saturdays during the nice months if you want to go. But it was raining, and so they had moved it inside, and, like, 250 yogis were, like, 
all up over the whole entire thing. And I, um, my cast was the first cast that day, and I uh, was talking to all of the Botanic Gardens people because they had no idea. Yeah, there's usually like 40 people at yoga, and there was like 200 that day, and they have no idea why there were so many people at yoga that day. And I have pictures of the garden, like the entire park that we're supposed to walk through just covered in yoga mats. Yeah, it was just like a carpet. <laughs> you were, Jess was texting me pictures because I wasn't, I wasn't there yet. Her cast was the first one in, so I wasn't there yet that day. And you were texting me pictures of like <laughs> the carpet of yoga mats. Like everybody's just like in downward dog in the, in the garden court. It was crazy. So yeah, we ended up having to like rope off a, a route that we took and we had to take the accessibility route for part of it and um we ended up coming up with a better plan for later on but it's sort of those unexpected things that literally no one knows is happening that you come up and you're just like all right well we had plan a b and c now we have to go to plan g here (laughs) plan y for yoga i don't know but like (laughs) it's it's a lot of split second decisions and you as the stage manager have to like be a part of those, and then also go to your cast and be, like, confident in what you're saying, but at the yeah. same time, you have no idea what's going on. Yeah, you're, you're you just made up out. this plan. Exactly. Plan Y was made up 30 <laughs> seconds ago uh, by the seat of your pants, and so now we have to go and tell the cast, this is plan Y, and this is what we're doing. And this is why, and this is what you're going to come up against, and the yogis are going to be upset that you're yelling, but just yell over them and, yeah. and get... No. Namaste. Yes. <laughs> we're very sorry that we're disturbing your yoga. So that was kind of funny. Oh, I forgot about yoga day. Yoga day. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. Thank you, Jess, for coming and recording with me. Well, thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun. Now it's time for a listener question. This one comes from Tumblr user 10 Paces Fire. Excellent username. Her question is, how should one go about putting together an SM portfolio for interviews and such? That's a great question. A portfolio is a good way to show the depth and breadth of your work in a concise way so that the person interviewing you doesn't have to sift through multiple prompt books. It's also great for conferences like SETC or USITT. You don't want to be carrying a bunch of prompt books around the convention floor all day. Leave room in your backpack for some swag, guys, and your back will thank you later. You should include examples of several different paperwork types, like run sheets and props tracking, and a couple of pages of your blocking and calling scripts. I would recommend including some photos as well, which really help to illustrate the type and scale of the shows you've done. It can be nice to have a photo from a particular show and then have the relevant pages of the script for that scene. You want your portfolio to be a jumping off point for conversations during your interview, so you want the examples included to be ones you can talk about easily. But you also don't want your interviewer to spend the whole time just looking at your portfolio and not actually talking to you. Quality over quantity is definitely the way to go. If you have a question you'd like me to answer on a future episode of On Headset, you can send us a message on Tumblr at onheadset.tumblr.com slash ask, at facebook.com slash onheadset, or via email at onheadsetpodcast at gmail.com. 
If you liked this episode, please share it with your friends and fellow stage managers, and also leave us a rating and review in the iTunes store. I'm Becky Reed, and this was On Headset. <laughs>